The Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly brought to you by Saki Acres Retrievers. Whether you're looking for a black, yellow, or chocolate Labrador Retriever puppy, please check out our website for more information at www.sakiacres.com. You can also email Jeff at sportingdogtv at gmail.com or call 262-215-9683. And remember, everyone deserves a soggy dog. Hey, welcome to the Hunt Guy Podcast. I am here with Brad from Eagle Seed. Brad, can you introduce yourself, please? Absolutely. Uh, thank you for having me. Brad Doyle, uh, Eagle Seed is our family business. And we are located in Northeast Arkansas. So Brad, I had talked to you and Brad, I have to say, I kind of, I stalked you. So I had bought some seed from Brad's company, Eagle Seed, for a food plot. Didn't know anything about them, but I was looking for some type of a soybean product because I just wanted to try it. I had been sitting at my, my property in central Wisconsin. I had great food plots out where I had clover and I had brassicas. And what I noticed was the deer would come out once we got into the rut and it was later in the season. The clover really wasn't a hit. They would nibble on my brassicas, but then I watched them as they would run to the cornfield and bean fields. So I made the point like this year is going to be different. I am going to have some soybeans out. So I started looking for soybean food plots and I saw these crazy pictures of these soybeans that were like six feet tall. And that led me to mine something from Eagle Seed. That is an, uh, <laughs> that's a very common story because, uh, you know, soybeans are everywhere, uh, but they're typically ag soybeans and they're very short uh, for a reason. They're, they're bred to be short to, uh, for easy harvest. Uh, they don't necessarily need to be six feet tall. Uh, if we can make it with half that size, uh, easier to uh, fill pods and make beans, go through the combine header easier, then that is, we're going to stick with that for, for uh, harvest. But the, the forage type, which you're referring to, has some unique characteristics, and we can, we can discuss that as we get into this story here. So when we talk about this, I was telling Brad before we started recording, I actually got my seed into the ground in early June. We had a drought. It didn't rain until July. My seeds started growing in, in July, and they still grew up to probably, I'm about 6'1", and it grew up to about my mouth as far as height. And I mean, that wasn't even giving them their full, their full growth, and I didn't put any fertilizer down. I just figured, oh, what the hell, I'll throw it down and see what happened. I broadcast it onto the, onto the soil and then just tilled it in. This year I have a cedar, so I'm professional. I got an eight row cedar. I'm gonna do it right this year. But Brad, why did this work so well and the deer loved it? What is, I guess, the difference if you're putting a food plot in having a product like this? So I guess I need to give you a little history of our, our company too. Uh, we're one of the few independent companies that breeds their own soybeans in the United States. Most of the, the large corporations that they're the ones doing the breeding on and they're targeting farmers. Uh, and, and that's what we do as well. My wife is a soybean breeder. Her father was before her. And we, had our, we have our own genetics and our genetics were, were taller, later maturing. And I'm a hunter. Uh, I saw a value, along with my father-in-law, it was, I guess, I'd have to give him credit for the initial idea around 20 years ago. But we saw a need 
for something more than a, 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 a soybean that is harvested. It depends on, on where you're located. It could be an October harvest, could be a November harvest, but we needed something that maybe would stay green longer, would allow the deer to feed on it longer, but also to regenerate leaves as the deer eat on it. And that's, that is one of the biggest complaints when, when uh, food plotters want to put soybeans in small secluded plots is they just get overeaten. So if you tell me that you got them shoulder high, that, that means, that tells me a lot about your soil. Uh, to your point, yes, you could plant earlier if needed, but you've got to have uh, a, a somewhat decent soil to, for anything to grow properly. But the genetics are what got you to the shoulder height. And that's, that's what the, the soybean is designed to do. Why does it do that? It's putting on two to three times as many branches. So it just continues to grow, continues to grow uh, into your, hopefully to your deer's liking. And it's crazy because if you go into a place that has, where it's a food plot that has good amount of deer, um, I was taught this years ago, but the shoulder height was in the middle. I mean, my, my yeah. field is about, it's probably like, 30 yards across by about 400 yards long. And the middle was higher, but when you went on the ends, it was probably maybe waist high or even mid thigh high because they were browsing and they were eating it. And it's, I didn't realize it regened as far as the growth goes either, because honestly, I just figured I wanted to have some crazy soybeans like, like the picture did, but it was something that was incredibly hardy and I will say the, the way we did it when we broadcast it, one, I didn't spray it because it's a Roundup Ready product. I sprayed it, I'm not a farmer, and then I waited too long and the plants got too tall. And because I broadcast it, I couldn't get any equipment in because I would have broke a bunch of the, the, the uh, plants. And I ended up with a pigweed infestation, which was just, it looked terrible. My plants weren't that close together, but it looked like I had done a great job. And I'm looking at it now and I'm going, man, with the cedar, I would have had probably double the amount of plants in my field than I did last year. Yep, um, you're right. Most of us who are hobby uh, food plotters, uh, farmers, uh, don't have equipment or, or have limited uh, access to equipment. So a four-wheeler, for instance, four-wheeler and a a pull-type disc or, or spring-tooth plow is very common, uh, and that broadcast method works really good if you have good soil moisture, good seed-to-soil contact, um, and, and your fertility's in good uh, check. Soil temperature is, that is a moving variable because you can plant beans in cold ground and that in, the, in ideal uh, conditions, just to say it's, uh, you've got good moisture, but they're not gonna germinate until the, the temperature warms up enough. Mm -hmm. but, but being too wet or too dry, obviously uh, causes problems. Mudding, I would never, never recommend, uh, you know, mudding a soybean crop in. It, it is, you're asking for trouble. Uh, and as we discussed earlier, too dry, uh, can be just as uh, devastating. Um, the crop is slow to emerge or they start germinating and they don't fully germinate. So, you, you know, you have a, a spotty stand, um, but, but you absolutely can have success broadcasting with your new planter 
Is this a, a new planter or a, or a drill? What, do, what have you said you have? I bought a uh, planter from a farm and barn. It's a pull behind for a, a pull behind planter for a, a four wheeler. Um, okay, I do have great. a tractor, so I've got a tiller on the tractor. So it's nice because I'll spray, I'll till everything when spring comes. And what I do that is I till that so I can get that seed that was from the season before into germinate. And then I spray it. And then what I had done was I'd wait until a week or two later, and then I would just broadcast my seed on and then plant. But what I have now is I've got this, uh, I've got this eight row planter that's a pull behind for a, it says for an ATV, but it's pretty big. I think an ATV would probably struggle. Um, I'm just gonna use my tractor and just hook it to the drawbar and go that way. But then I can set it up and plant that way. And it's gonna be pretty cool as far as the, the amount of plants, because again, these plants got so big that it looks like I knew what I was doing. But if you actually walked in, you're like, man, they're like a foot apart. I mean, it's just they grew in and grew so thick that that it looked like I was like the greatest gear farmer ever. Well, so when you go to, to a mechanical planter of, of, you know, any type, really, you have more accurate metering. So if, if it has a, a setting for pounds or, you know, numbered setting that relates theoretically back to pounds or seeds per foot, then that, that's just going to make your life easier. You, you will tend not to overplant or underplant once you figure that piece of equipment out. Mm -hmm. The second part would be seed placement. If it has drop tubes down to uh, disc openers or, uh, you know, plow shoe, something like that, you have, you're in more control over the depth of that. And to your point about uh, good seed to soil contact with a little bit of tillage, there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of our clay type soils, especially in this area where I'm at, tend to crust over. And, and so you see a lot of farmers uh, that, that will lightly scuff that ground, even if they plowed it, you know, months prior or after harvest, sometimes uh, that disturbance is just enough to get a, a, a lighter weight planter or drill in the, in the right seed depth or further where it needs to be. So now with this seed, we did well by us. Again, my property, my dry land, quote unquote dry, is all around marsh. And it's, it's a fairly wet property, but the beans did really well in it. It's not so wet that they're standing water, but it's, it's moist where I can't grow a lot of things. So beans and clover do well. I, I did try the green and gold, which your green and gold product has corn mixed in. And I had the damnedest thing. The deer ate, ate, the, deer ate the corn plants. I had a bunch of like little sticks sticking up. They were like little baseball bats with no leaves and they just kept eating the leaves off of them. Is that common that a deer would just flat out eat your corn plants? And, and is that something where because of how many corn plants they, they ate, every, every plant that was in that green and gold got eaten? Is that something that I shouldn't use or is that something where I go to like a full corn or how do you, how do you go about that as far as in your planting procedures? Yeah, and so the, the, the blend you're talking about, it, it has almost a full rate of soybean in it, and it has about uh, a half to a third rate of corn. So there is a lower population of corn in there. And what that's meant to do is, is a, lot of, a lot of folks don't, do not have large acres. And I say large acres, I'm saying three or four or five, even more than that, mm -hmm. but they want both. And green and gold allows you to have both in the same field and not, uh, you know, best of both worlds, corn and beans, 
but if you have deer eating corn, most of most of the feedback we get from our customers is you have a lot of deer, or mm -hmm. and, and you have them in an area where you have the most palatable, attractive thing, and so yeah, they're just going to jump on it. The corn is always going to be taller than the soybeans, so if a deer, it's just you know meandering through the, your your plot there. The corn is is uh, is higher, and maybe that's just something that they got a, a liking to, uh, and and just hammered on it. I mean, I'm assuming they hit the soybeans just as hard. Is that correct? Oh yeah, they hit the soybeans yeah. just as hard. It's just yeah. the the soybeans regenerated and the corn yeah. didn't. I, I literally I should have taken a picture. It looked like it a bunch of baseball bats <laughs> out in my out in my food plot, and I'm like, this is so sad. Like yeah. here I wanted to have some corn, and uh, it just it just didn't work out. In you know, in the end of the day, the the food plot was was feeding the deer. Um, sure. Food plot should have two, you know, two goals. One would be summer feeding, and winter winter care, you know, winter feed as well. Um, obviously, for the summer planted crop like corn and soybeans, they're going to grow up until frost, and and they're done. They're not going to have any regeneration after that. So, what you have stored on that plant in the form of a cob or a pod uh, or a head, you know, if it's a grain sorghum or whatever, that is what your, your goal is. You wanna have both. But in some instances, you just have so many deer uh, and, and they just browsed it heavily all, all summer long. So then comes in plan B, that's when you drop in there and, and you know, shoot for a fall, either overseeding or complete you know, replanting of the same plot uh, if, if your soils don't get too waterlogged in the winter. So do I need to worry about fertilizing if my plants did that well this year? Is it going to have pulled a bunch out of the, out of the ground? Uh, probably the two years before we had a brassica blend in on the same plot. And one of the plots was too wet to plant, so it just had grass on it. How do I look at this moving forward? I'd like to plant beans, at least on part of it this year. Is there something that I should do a blend to kind of crop rotate for the good of the soil or could I just plant beans every time and just fertilize it? So the great thing about soybeans are uh, they, will, they will fix their own nitrogen. So they are a legume like clover and peas and alfalfa. And, and if you have the, the correct bacteria, and you inoculate that seed at planting or it is already in the soil, we, we recommend re-inoculating every year, that soybean does not need any additional nitrogen. So there's one cost savings. The corn in, in green and gold would need some, but not near as much uh, as a full rate of corn. And there may be enough residual nitrogen in that soil for it. Phosphorus demand on soybean is, is pretty low as well. So we, we're not gonna have a, a huge bill on phosphorus. We just probably need to, you know, take that soil test analysis and look at it and see how, how much native uh, pea you have. And then, you know, if it needs any additional, you could consider it. But, but the potassium in the form of potash, that is what soybeans, you know, do need for, for maximum yield potential. And, and go back to that soil test, you know, use what you have there you're gonna you're gonna pull some up from down deep. Um, that's just what plants do. That's where their root system is, and they're gonna access that. Yes, deer are removing 
in P and K and, and many other micronutrients as they're leaving the field. Um, that's a cycle, you know, cycle of life there. Uh, fertilizer is expensive right now. Uh, so you really need to look at what you need, not what makes you feel good. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of fertilizer, um, salesmen out there right now that are, you know, trying to sell something in a liquid form that's supposed to replace, you know, a heavier amount of PK. And I, I just, just be careful, you know, uh, some of those are gimmicks. Um, a lot of them get a bad rap, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in rock fertilizer. So, you know, mm -hmm. I'm going to P&K out uh, nitrogen as needed for my corn. But, you know, there's there's other philosophies on, on nutrient management of plants right now. And if you want to go down that road, uh, just be prepared that if you start with an empty tank, uh, it's going to be a struggle. So you, you almost need, you know, really good fertility to begin with to start that if you want to call it regenerative process uh and, and it's it's great for some people you know because they feel like it's it's more environmentally friendly but um i, I think the, the our modern farming practices are are just as safe and efficient so uh, if i wanted to mix one plant in that i guess would feed off of the the uh what the soybeans put in the ground i realize you rotate corn and beans but part of my area is probably too wet for corn. What would be something else that I could put in there on an off year? And I'm going to sound probably ignorant on this because I'm not, a, I'm just a deer farmer. But if you plant something too many times over years, you can develop like some different things in your soil that could make it work and kill your crop and actually kind of almost like burn, wreck your soil for a while. How many years in a row could you plant the same thing if you did fertilizer? Is there something else you can mix in on a wet soil like mine other than corn that would be a good mix with it? Right now, basically, we've just stuck with where we're running clover, beans, and then I was, I've got one that I was going to do just straight corn in next year. So the biggest problem we have with, with corn probably are our insects uh, and, and then also probably weeds. Uh, you can get some some really tough uh, insects that will, will take up host in your, in, your, in your field and eat those young corn seedlings. I, I've seen it year in, year out. I've seen some folks who, who are not able to plant corn just due to that fact. We had a bunch but, of those beetles last year. Yeah, Is that what's killing yeah. us? Um, and, and most of these are some, um, some you've got corn, seed corn uh, maggots and, uh, that attack the actual seed okay. in the ground wire worms that come out and clip it off. And so that's another big problem, um, root worms. But I think a lot of it is not keeping your fertility in check or keeping the balance there. So I've got fields of soybeans that have been soybeans for 15 years in a row uh, and I have no issues with it. Uh, but I am incorporating wheat or oats or cereal rye or brassica or even clover in, in the winter time. So that, that in itself is a rotational, a seed. So are you overseeding it then once the soybean crop is through? Yes, I, you can, you can do it. Uh, that is one uh, way to do it. Just broadcast over the top as the soybeans are nearing maturity. 
Uh, other areas where it's been heavily browsed, you can just go in there and start over again and replant however you, you normally would. But uh, to your point, cool, wet, or actually wet soil in an off year, there's some annual clovers out there that do fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I would, I would look into that. I think Frosty Brasim and Fixation Blancher are two that are really uh, do a lot better on wet and even higher clay content soils that we, we found for sure. Now, the other thing I was talking to you about before uh, we started recording was I've got my one food plot where there's actually a sand mine. They, they, they basically ship fracking sand all over the country. And they usually get busy in fall to my chagrin. I always wonder why they can't do this stuff in spring and summer for me. They always get busy in fall and they'll have a corn crop up. And once that corn crop is taken down, the food plot is, is you're able to see it up to the, up to the rail yard. When the corn's up, the deer will be down there. They know people can't see them. They don't really care, but they're real shy as far as having people there that can see them. And I wanted to put up a screen like a, some type of a, a, a crop that would be like five yards across maybe, and that would block that so the deer were more comfortable so I'd get more daytime activity. What do you guys have on that type of product and how hard is that to grow? So what, what we have is called forage fence. Uh, it's got six different grass species in it, easy to grow. To your point, probably needs to be about five yards wide, uh, at least at minimum. So you're not, you know, you're looking through it, you need to have the visual barrier. Uh, and what we did, we, we had a mixture of medium height plants and, and extremely high, uh, tall plants. Because when you have wet winters, heavy snows, wind, rain, a lot of that tends to snap over at ground level. Mm -hmm. And we, we want the rigidity of, you know, shoulder height, you know, backing those taller plants. So even if it does get a lean to it, you still have some support there. And it's not all going to, you know, flow flat to the ground. Um, planting wise, plant it. You don't have to be in in this big a hurry with your corn, but sometime around there, okay. you're not going to, you know, you're not going to harvest it. You're going to leave it. Uh, they're not highly attractive to deer, uh, but a lot of them do produce green heads that will eventually fall to the ground, and deer and turkey and rabbits and quail could even benefit from them. Mm -hmm. um, you're just trying to make that animal more secure coming out in that field. If this is this a commercially harvested cornfield? Yes, yeah, okay. it's commercially harvested. They do, I know they do spray their stuff with Roundup. There is, we've got like a buffer of probably like two feet of grass in between okay. my property and the farm field that that I've left to kind of give like I don't know just something for the deer to walk along, a little bit of structure. I think just, you know, have a conversation with them and, and tell them why you're doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not doing it just to uh, invite weeds to grow up in it. You know, you're doing it for a purpose and, and that way he'll keep his heavy equipment off of it because, you know, farmers get in the uh, rush of, of harvest a lot of times and drive grain carts around the edge of the field. And, you, you know, you don't want them running your, your screen flats. You want that mm -hmm. protected. Um, those, those screens serve a lot of purposes, not only hiding your neighbor, but in, in my, my instance, we, we sneak into some of our deer stands using that cover. 
So it's a tremendous tool um, that doesn't take, have to take up a lot of your, your ground necessarily. It's just your border, but uh, we sell it in a 15 pound bag that will plant an acre. Uh, a lot of those seeds. Uh, yeah, so if you're planting a screen, it's not like, my goodness, that exactly. would be enough exactly. to do the whole property. I've got one food plot right by the house where you literally can sit there and you can watch the deer and it's, it should produce. Like there's a bunch of good area there and it, it sucks. I mean, we've got great pictures at night, but once it seems like they deer get shy once you get past about Labor Day by us, because that's when there's more people around and they're not dumb. They know they're getting hunted. And I told my buddy, I'm like, man, I hate to do it, but I'm going to block like where we can see like the ducks and deer so that I can see if it'll actually work. And I'm curious, obviously I, I've, I've got the camera so I can, I'll, I'll, I'll know if there's something there, but I'm curious if that will work and make that part of my property more productive during hunting season. Well, if you can imagine um, a deer coming out 10, 10 minutes early before, you know, dark because he feels more secure. Mm -hmm. that, could, that could be your opportunity to harvest that, that big animal that you've been looking for who's, you know, very cautious in the, in the past, wouldn't come out till after dark. And, and we recommend a lot of um, field hunters on elevated blinds uh, to do the same. If they've got a larger field, split it down the middle and split it away from you like a wagon wheel where it's not interfering with your, your line of sight, but it's providing enough site blockage for that that deer turkey you know coming into that field uh you know if you can see 300 yards across the field they can see as well mm -hmm. and and breaking that line of sight makes um can make all the difference and I, I'd, I'd be interested to see how your you know your experience is with that method yeah it's neat too we've got uh it's all cattails so we've got a lot of good coverage around and it's all bedding area and i started hunting with uh deer decoys Oh man, is that fun? I have I have not I've I've I had two bucks last year, a four, an eight point and a four point that fell in love with my decoy, and finally it was. I mean, I'm not kidding. It was probably forty five minutes past shooting time, and finally I'm like, oh hell, I, I gotta scare him because I'm like I can't sit here all night. And the one yeah. little eight point would sit there, and he's just like, man, she doesn't talk much, but I love her, and he's just hanging out by her, and the four point would cover and he put the run on, him. and he, I'm like, okay, good, he left, and then he'd come back. And then he just stand there. It's like, you boob. Like, I didn't even wash the thing down. It had my scent on it. He didn't care. He's like, man, I love her so much. So, yeah, I, I, I get a kick out of putting those decoys out there. Because when you get those deer that kind of poke their head out, they see that. And they're like, oh, my God. They've got the confidence to just come hauling in. We've had does that came in and licked the lips on the decoy and smelled them. And it's just it just is a lot of fun to do. But we're thinking of that 400-yard-long uh, food plot actually splitting it, like you said, yeah. to give it so that we've got it so it's sectioned. Because I've also read where if you've got huge food plots, deer can basically look out. And if they don't see another deer in there, they don't have to come out. Whereas if you've got it sectioned like that, they'll actually come out earlier because they want to check stuff. And, and, and that, that can pay huge, like I said, on, on skittish animals that um, maybe even change their path. You know, deer uh, will travel, um, you know, least resistance areas, you know. Uh, it's they're funny how they do that. So if you get the, uh, a break between, let's say, your soybeans and, and our, our forage blocker there, 
you know, they'll walk right down the middle of it and, and they just, they're following it like a tree line or a field edge. And, but it's, it's uh, basically something that you made, an artificial line. And uh, it's not hard to find where deer uh, prefer to travel. And especially from, you know, bedding to food or cover to uh, water, things like that, you know, you'll, you'll figure out where they are uh, just by their, their foot traffic and the trails that they make through those. Now, listening to what I have, what would you suggest for my property? Uh, obviously, you haven't seen it. I'm just kind of giving an overview of what we're growing. What would you try on a property like mine with uh, different products that you have? So, you know, I'll, we talk about water, wet soils, right? So mm -hmm. what is the definition of a wet soil? Is it, is it standing water? Is it spongy? Because uh, you know, if you've got cattails, that is that's a pretty wet source. Sure. If you're if you're coming out of that into some flatter area where it's just temporary wet, uh, that's something we can work with. There are some millets, you know, that that are typically planted uh, for waterfowl in my area, especially some of the Japanese uh, type millets, and and there's some even newer, improved type of. Uh, almost a cousin to barnyard grass that thrive in wet, wet weather uh, or wet feet. But I don't necessarily know that that grain head is going to do a lot for deer. Uh, it will do more for waterfowl and even probably turkey. So is it deer we're trying to track? Is it turkey? Is it waterfowl? That would be my first question. Pretty much and yes. Yes on all three. I mean, we've got, <laughs> uh, we've got, it, it, it almost goes from like where, We've tried planting stuff in the past. It's cattail mats in a lot of areas where it's bogs, where they come up and down. So it's it's an SOB. My property, you have to have an Argo with mud tracks on it. To get oh, around. wow. Okay. It is just, it would be, if you owned it, you would be so limited in the amount of area that you had to yeah. hunt that it would, be a, it would be a tough goal. But we've got areas where I would say spongy would be a good, a good thing to call it. I mean, you're going to basically sink in about, you know, an inch or two with your boots during a majority of the time of year. Last year it was dry and we did beans, but it's pretty wet where it's tough to get equipment in. And even like a tractor, if you're turning, you're going to dig way down with a, with, with an actual tractor. Right. So that would be part of one of my, my, my big food plot. And then the other area is maybe standing water. If you've got like a couple of inches of rain, but it's, it's going to be temporary and a yeah. fairly dry, dry area but it really struggled with brassicas. I, they didn't grow real long. They didn't like it. It was just too wet. But the beans did awesome and clover does awesome. Yeah. So a lot of the, the stunting and yellowing of corn in a wet, wet situation like that is, is, is uh, they're not, it's not able to take nutrients out. Basically, the roots are kind of starved, you know, starved from, from uh, CO2 uh, and oxygen exchange in the soil. Um, if it's that wet, there's not any gas, you know, atmospheric gas movement in the soil. And so they're just not able to perform. We have some soybeans that we actually have flood testing data on that can withstand almost 30 days of water. I mean, it's, it's really crazy. Down here, we're in a soybean and rice rotation and we flood irrigate a lot of our soybeans. So we select a lot of those soybeans that can handle wetter feet. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so that, that to your point, there are soybeans are probably a good option. Um, 
buckwheat can be an option, but it's short-lived option. Um, short for browsing, not a lot of the grain on, on buckwheat typically falls to the ground and you're not going to winter carry any of that. Mm -hmm. uh, might be a chance for some cowpeas or, or sunflowers, but we still get into uh, plants that take up a lot or need a lot of nitrogen, mm -hmm. uh, may not be you know adequately grown uh, if they don't have proper drainage. And I don't know if, if there's enough slope to this or is it extremely flat water? It's, it's got enough slope to get the water off of it. And when we have standing water, it's just because the, the, the uh, area is out of its banks. Yeah, yeah. Um, temporarily, a, you know, I think uh, that's, that's pretty common. I'm not too worried about temporary. Um, most, most things can recover from that mm -hmm. uh, if you have proper drainage in there. Now, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, NRCS type rules prevent you from manipulating you know, water, uh, wetland areas like that. So you got to always check with your, your, you know, local laws if you're able to manipulate it. But drainage is huge for us down here. You know, mm -hmm. uh, if it's a shallow furrow, just enough to get the surface water off and then the internal drainage will come beyond that. You know, a lot of Midwestern farms have tile drainage in for that very reason. So don't know if that is an option for you, but underground tile to help a bog like that just to get it diverted away uh, can really change uh, your planting, uh, you know, crop of choice. In the future. Well, I figured we would try the, the uh, beans again this year. Yeah. Now, I think I just did the forage soybeans. Is there one that's better for, for yeah, wet? We, yep, so we have, uh, and we have a Midwestern and Northern version of like our wildlife managers mix. So that would give you some earlier seed production with some of those varieties that, that tend to do better with wet soils okay. and uh, you know, geographically. So soybeans, you know, are photo period sensitive. So they, um, there's maturity groups based on where they're planted at. And you're further north than I am. So you, you have earlier maturing uh, varieties because your day length is, is longer than down here and, and so we have some of those that are suited for for your area for the reproductive part we put in we blend in with the later maturing forage type so you get the kind of the best of both worlds. Now is it something where when mine didn't start growing till July if I if I got the stuff planted let's say in mid-May had it up on Memorial Day would that be better for my overall hunting as far as what I saw? Because what I saw was we had great plants until frost. And then there was a period where the deer just weren't that interested in it when it was basically dying off until it was fully dead and then it was dry and then they were back in there. Is yeah. there, I, I guess, did I screw up getting stuff to grow so late or is that just kind of how it works in a, in a, in a food plot? So yeah, but to the, the yellowing, that, that's called senescence and, and that's a natural process. Uh, planting earlier, in my opinion, is always beneficial. You typically will have a higher yield if you can plant earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of that, it just allows for more time of the, the plants to um, put on more vegetative growth, more reproductive points of growth, and then fill pots before frost comes. The plant takes up nutrients through the roots and it stores it in the leaf, the petioles, the stems, all through the summer. 
once that bloom appears and it starts developing into a pod, then it reverses that, uh, that sink source full from now we're pulling nutrients from the leaf and the petioles. And that's why you have that leaf turns yellow and eventually falls off is, uh, so yeah, there will be a time when that plant is yellowing that it may not be as attractive as it was before uh, with a full green leaf on there. There's not much better nutritionally wise than a soybean leaf to a deer. Mm -hmm. It is an amazingly high, you know, uh, nutritional leaf. We've got some varieties that are up above over 42% leaf protein. So nothing can, can match that, you know, from a, a plant that you could grow providing 24 seven uh, feeding, you know. So you're gonna get better horn growth, healthier deer, Absolutely. and it's just really gonna be a good thing for them. And this would be Fast. about corn even in the big scheme of things? Yeah, so if there's, there's a really, really great study out of Mississippi State University and they took some captive deer in, uh, well, they put them in captive uh, from three different growing regions. The Mississippi River Valley, which is high fertility, which historically had bigger deer, both body and antler. You had the hills, the, the, the clay, red clay hills, central Mississippi, and then the southern coastal plain where it had the smallest deer. And they brought them in and they put them on high protein diet. And the study basically showed that by changing the diet to a high protein, high nutrition diet, you could, uh, you could uh, get the same results basically on, on antler growth. They would all meet. So it wasn't about genetics. Mm -hmm. It was more about the diet. It's, it's fascinating. It did not happen in one year. It took two, the way I understand it, it took two full adult doe life cycles and they were two to three years each. So it was, it's a process. It takes a couple of years, but it's amazing. If you, if you take body weight at all on your farm and you go to a high protein diet like that, what you'll see, uh, if you're in soybean country, it won't be as noticeable because mm -hmm. you've already got a lot of it there. But, and at that point, why are you growing the later maturing soybean is that whenever everything else does turn yellow, you still have green soybeans. And that is what uh, you can pull deer in for miles, you know, with that, uh, if you have that, that uh, system set up. We had a great later too. And when, once it got to uh, mid-November by us, we got a frost in like probably, let's say the 25th of October and it killed the plants. And man, they looked pitiful too. It felt kind of bad for them. I'm like, you guys were so tall and big and look at you now. But uh, I called them my mutant soybeans and the mutant soybeans started to die. And then we had like a break. And then once we got from like mid-November to about probably almost February 1st, the deer were just in there. They, they just were so excited to be in there and they were in there every night. It, the big thing for us is just figuring out how to get in there while they're there so that you're not bumping them out because the damn fawns were in there almost day, almost all day. I think they bedded in there actually. So that's the, that is a great thing about the taller beans. People don't give them credit for that, but it is um, back to the line of sight of a deer. If you've got a soybean that's taller than, than they are, they feel more secure in that. And they, like you said, they may just camp out there. Mm -hmm. and, and hide out and, and uh, rear their fawns there. So um, if you take a plant that is killed by frost, it still has nutrition 
in the stems and you'll see deer that actually come back and eat the stems okay you know the, the later it gets in the winter that is still a, a, a nutritional forage for them and they will you know by this time of year uh, if they make it this long year it's nothing but, but a stem out there so they will eat almost everything how many days growth i guess are what's the maturity life cycle of these of these food plot soybeans i know like corn you've got the 100 day corn and right. 90 day yeah. corn it's a moving number uh because of that photo period since the part if the, the earlier you plant the longer that that number can be the okay. shorter you plant that there's yeah when june 23rd happens you have the days are getting shorter now and that plant is triggered to flower sooner so uh it could be 120 days it could be 95 days it, but it depends on your planting date so if you want more time plant earlier uh don't so be is it basically just the first frost is when our our plants are going to start to turn yellow then or what was i late in my plant it, it may so soybeans don't grow a lot below 50 degree air temperature so they mm -hmm. will start slowing down uh once you get to that point uh it will take a couple of frosts to kill one that's still pretty green mm -hmm. but um it, uh, that earlier planting even if it's a little cooler than normal don't be afraid to plant it um and, and that way you would you would give yourself or you know more more yield potential by the end of the winter now i'm from i i was a kid in the 80s and uh you know looking back on movies i've got an idea i used to be in tv so follow me on this i don't know if you've thought about making a movie about your beans we could call it children of the beans <laughs> We could have we could we could dust off Malachi and bring him back and have him in the bean fields okay. and he could like stalk people. What do you think? <laughs> it, it would be spooky, would it not? Yeah, out there at nighttime. Uh, that's that's might have to think about that. Might <laughs> might hire you for that. So too fun, but. Mm -mm. Well, if you guys want, check out Brad. Brad, you got to give us our website. Where would they find you? eagleseed.com uh, we have a lot of information on there from both springs uh, summer fall planted uh, you know the core of our business has always been soybeans rice and wheat to the local farmers my passion and my father-in-law's uh, ingenuity brought our wildlife uh, side into our business and cover crops are, are another big part that are growing and, but we, we pride ourselves on providing technical uh, help, consulting, mm -hmm. uh, like we're doing here, talking back and forth. Uh, there's a lot of that that goes on, and, and we're, we're, we want to know what your goal is. You know, how big an area do you intend to plant? What kind of tools do you have to work with? What is your budget? Things like that uh, that, are, that are important, because uh, if you're doing this just because your neighbor's doing it, it, you can copycat everything he's doing, but if you if you truly have a goal, if it's larger deer or you want your grandkids to have a better opportunity every time they go out, or you just simply want to increase your your animal sightings on your farm and know and have no intention of harvesting, we've got something for you. Uh, EagleSeed.com is where our our hub is. There, like I said, we're we're located here in Northeast Arkansas and. We ship all over the U.S., so 
it's it's been a, a blessing for us to be able to interact with hunters and especially myself being one mm-hmm. and, and our son is uh, active as he is waterfowl deer turkey quail went pheasant hunting for the first time this year just had a blast and, and i look forward to, to many more opportunities like that well brad we're gonna you don't realize it yet but i'm going to talk you into doing our other podcast the sporting dog adventures podcast because i want to talk about the waterfowl uh, side of things and brad all brad's company also has a great waterfowl blend uh, they've got rice but i wanted to talk about deer only on this one um if you guys want to see just some crazy pictures, I'm telling you, this is not, I contacted Brad. He didn't contact us to be on the show. I looked at these photos and I was sending this to people, including our, our buddy, Brad Heidel. And I'm like, look at these crazy ass mutant beans. I'm like, I'm going to grow this. And I, I had people stopping where I had my buddies. I'm like, just go look behind my house, stop and look. I'm like, you got to see how tall these are, including the farmers. And of course the one farmer's like, wow, our beans are pretty tall too. I'm like, like my butt I'm like mine are mine are as tall as me I'm like yours are only waist high I'm like you're suck but uh if you want to see a great product line they've got a lot of wonderful big game stuff they've also got waterfall stuff they've got upland bird game it is just a neat sight and fun to look at check it out I'm going to post some photos of our stuff uh later in the season so that people can see it we shot two nice bucks on our property too uh, last year and, and one of them was on uh, the site that we put the beans on so Brad what I have to ask you now is that can you please stay with us we're going to do a tip section with you and then the last part of the show we wanted to have you talk about a memorable hunt that you had would you be willing to stick around absolutely okay everyone stay tuned for our tip section it's going to be after a note from our sponsors We're going to bring Brad back and talk to him about a tip. I don't even know what tip he's going to talk about, but he's going to stick with us and give us a great tip. All that more coming up after this. It's Jeff Fuller from the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast, and I need a little help. Please stop what you're doing and give us a five-star rating. Follow us on the platform you're on. Give us a thumbs up. And above all, share our podcast with your friends and family. Our podcast will grow even more, and we can get more people involved in the sport we love with Dogs in the Field. Welcome to Boucher and Janesville, where customer service is our number one priority. Our customers come back to us because of the experience that we provide for them. We're here to make sure that we find you the right car, one that fits your budget, and do so in a timely manner. When we say we ride with you every mile, it means we care about you and how you are treated. Estamos con personal que habla español en los departamentos de servicio y venta. Our certified technicians are here to help you with all your service needs. Visit us today at Boucher.com. At Boucher, we ride with you every mile. Hey, welcome back to the Hunting Guy podcast. Brad is back. Brad is going to give us a tip. He explained it to me. We talked about three things. I don't even know which one he's going to pick. So, Brad, what tip do we want to talk about today? Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start with the third one I mentioned. That's weed management. A lot of our forage soybeans are around a Freddy, and so they can they can handle glyphosate, uh, the, the active ingredient of Roundup. But over the years, uh, Roundup is really good. It, it really is a great herbicide. It will continue to be a great herbicide, but there are some weeds that are, are a little bit harder to control nowadays. 
And if you, if a little bit of preparation with that pre-emerge herbicide can make all the difference in the world. If you can prevent water hemp or pigweed from coming up, you'll never have to spray it with Roundup because you, you can control it before it becomes a problem. Now, so what, is a pre-emerge, what is a pre-emerge herbicide? Pre-emerge herbicide, uh, I'll just throw out a, a Metolachlor is one. Uh, the original brand name was Dual Magnum. And it, it, is a, it is a herbicide sprayed on the soil really before anything comes up. And then what it does, it prevents those weed seeds from germinating. Okay. It does not kill them once they're up. It prevents them from germinating. And you will have a much cleaner uh, productive plot if you, you spend a couple of bucks, maybe $10 an acre, at uh, applying a pre-emerge on there. It'll so would I have to till my soil then, or I just go out and I got, let's see, last year's plots that had soybeans on them. I just drive my drive my side-by-side -side with my sprayer attachment and I just spray it before I do anything? Uh, so I would use it as a at planting spray. Okay. So whenever you made all your decision to come back and you're going to come in there and plant it, plan on applying that at the same time and theoretically we don't want any weeds up already we want to do this before they come up would i if i had a grass like i've got one area that's got clover and grass in it right now if i were going to do that would i be best off to wait for it to green up hit it with a roundup then till it and plant it and put the pre-emerge on it you can yeah yeah as, as long as you you're putting it out uh before those weeds emerge it can get you three to four weeks of control. Uh, and that may be the next time you're going to come back to the farm. If you live, you know, a couple hours away, it can save you that time and you're not coming back to a fully weed infested plot. It, it, and it may only take one shot over the top. may not take any. If you do it right, you mm -hmm. can have all the soybeans grow in the shade out the ground and, and you're home free. Well, yeah, by then your soybeans are what, like waist high? <laughs> it depends, but yeah, so it, it's a real, it's a real uh, a tool, a good tool that you can use that will, would help you. Excellent. And how do you spell that? So people, if they want to look that up, would look, where, where would they go for it? Yeah, Metolachlor, M-E-T-O-C-L-O-R. Okay. And that's something they would just get from a farm store? Uh, correct. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Dual, like I said, dual, dual Magnum was the original. And it's still sold as Dual Magnum, um, a name brand. So you can find many um, generic forms of that now, but it's pretty readily available. That is something I've never used. I'm going to try that this year because, man, I, pigweed is something that, it, that is brutal. That stuff grows so tall, and there's so many different types of it. We actually, yeah. uh, we, we, got, we had it so bad that we actually went in and we were pulling it. And we had a pigweed pulling party, my kid and I. And he made the mistake of thinking it was funny to throw like one piece at me and it was, it was pretty wet. So I got splotched with mud. Yeah. So I'm bigger than him. So, and, and also I guess I mean, because I got him on the ground and I like put like probably 40 pounds of it on top of him. I just kept pigweeding him. We rarely, we rarely, we do not plant any of our soybeans without, without a pre-emerge herbicide anymore. So the early days of Roundup Ready, a lot of farmers went to just Roundup only Mm -hmm. And now we found some of those weeds that are a little tougher to control, but pre-emerges are definitely uh, worth the time and effort of using. 
All right. So that was my personal tip. And you, you did that one be, to, to help me with my deer farm. And what other tip were you talking about uh, prior to when we hit uh, record here to record the section? Yeah, it's, it's one of the first uh, seminars I ever, you know, attended from a wildlife biologist, uh, fantastic biologist out of Tennessee, most people would know. And he talked about what a chainsaw would, uh, would do on your property. And I think that to me, don't be afraid to uh, cut some trees, let some sunlight in some areas. No intention of planting them, but just letting the native uh, ground take off, native browse. Uh, and a lot of those may be hard to reach areas. That chainsaw is your friend. Um, I, I Are you talking chainsaw. taking the whole whole tree out or doing a hinge cut, which is where either, you either basically or. a hinge I, cut is where you drop them and then it right. gets brushy? I'll take them all the way down, but. Okay. Uh, I haven't, I guess it's just because I haven't experienced a lot of hinge cutting uh, and where I want to do it, I want to clean it out. Um, I'm, I wouldn't be afraid to try some hinge cutting maybe on, I've got a gravel county road that goes by my farm and I'm considering doing that uh, because as the as the stand gets taller, I can see further in the woods and I'm kind of wanting maybe to break that line of sight and I feel like I'm doing that when I go in there and thin some of that out, let some of that sunlight get in there. Yeah, for people that don't know, hinge cutting is something you do to give yourself like a transition from big woods to a field edge so that the deer will stage and feel more comfortable uh, being in that area. My place now is all cattails. I used to be up in northern Wisconsin where it's all big woods. And I figured out where the deer would stage. And it was crazy. I would be in a tree stand about 200 yards off of my food plot. I never sat on the food plot. And the deer would be around me for like an hour, hour and a half. And they would just watch the food plot. And then once it was about dark, they ran like dogs out to the field. Yeah. That's, that is, uh, they're very cautious. And so I think with a little bit of preparation, uh, with that chainsaw, you know, you can create some new corridor movement. Uh, even even some habitat. I've got I've seen more rabbits now around the areas where I drop some trees and uh, more protection there. So yeah, that chainsaw, that, and uh, a little bit of pre-planning on where where would might where you might do that. Obviously, I'll do it on land I owned. You know, you probably <laughs> don't want to go on a lease and just start cutting trees down without getting that permission first. Go in the farmer's field next to you and just start cutting cutting stuff down and drop it in his field to hinge cut it so it gives a better edge. Yeah. <laughs> whoops. Yeah, that, that would be a whoops. So, Well, Brad, if you can stick around, next thing we want to talk about in the next part of the show would be just a fun hunt that you have that's memorable. Like I said, when I was talking to you, I, I got one that was so far out there um, on the last show where the guy was talking about hunting with a veterinarian where they, they, they tranquilized a rhino and they then took data from the rhino and revived it. I'd never expected that. So feel free to surprise us with whatever you'd like to talk about next. We're with Brad from Eagle Seed. We are going to talk about a hunt next. I hope you guys are enjoying the show. It's a lot of fun for me. I'm learning a lot. Stay tuned for the next part of our show coming up after this. Dog kennels can be beautiful. 
That's the basis on which we built DCT Kennels. We give you the opportunity to have a beautiful kennel that blends seamlessly with your home decor while providing a safe and comfortable respite for your dog. Visit dctkennels.com to see all of our custom selections and start building your dream custom doggy crate Dunza. If you love the shooting sports like I do, you need to check out our friends at Mac Outdoors. They have fantastic products, whether you're looking at shot shell or metallic reloading, or you want to get yourself a clay thrower so you can practice up for the season. For more information, check out their website at MacOutdoors.com. Hey, welcome back to the Hunting Guy podcast. We're with Brad from Eagle Seed. Brad, we got to talk about a memorable hunt that you have. What are you thinking? So where I'm located, we are, I'll give you two stories, but it's about the same shotgun and my son. We are in a shotgun only uh, deer hunting area here. So you have the shotgun slug or a muzzleloader. But my son, mm -hmm. he was eight years old when he killed his first deer. And I had a 410 single shot and had some slugs and off we go to hunt, hunt his first deer. And uh, it may actually be the second deer, but it took four shots with a single shot, chasing that deer, you know, from the initial uh, point uh, where we shot at him from a ground line. And uh, it's just the excitement, you know, and there's the deer and I'm like, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him, you know, but um, finally, finally uh, got the deer, harvested the deer so proud as a dad, uh, mm -hmm. you know, hunted my whole life and was renewed interest being able to take my son with me. And I took him when he was quite, quite young, four or five years old, but I always made sure when he was that young that we were warm, we had snacks. Uh, I think, I think tent blinds and, and uh, ground blinds and, and elevated blinds are really good for taking kids. Uh, because it gives them the freedom to move around a little bit more and whisper and, and have some talks, you know, and don't be too serious about it. Have some fun with it. And I just had a blast mm -hmm. with that same single shot. We're duck hunting one day, same farm back behind our house. And he was really disappointed. He shot some shot at some ducks, missed, and he just really, you know, really disappointed and said, dad, this gun is just, it just won't kill anything. So I took his gun and the next bird that flew over was a shoveler and I shot one shot and knocked it down and I was just glowing and I handed that back to him and said, son, there's nothing wrong with the gun. And he just was, you know, so proud of that now, you know, oh, my gun is maybe good enough. So yeah. uh, he's since graduated to much bigger, bigger guns, but uh, that was another, you know, great hunt with him that we, we, we always sit back and, and think about and laugh about, but give the, give the kid a chance, you know, take them, uh, don't take them too long. Don't let them, don't burn them out on it, but it was just, you know, let them have fun, be a kid. Uh, and he doesn't have to go with me anymore. You know, now I have to wait on him to invite me, but, uh, <laughs> many, many memories made there. So. That's yeah, it's something that uh, I've got so many memories of my boys because I had uh, nine seasons of TV. So I've watched them grow up and I was watching a, a show last night that was uh, 
oh gosh, it was probably four or five years ago. And it's just neat because you look back on that stuff and you have those memories. I have them on video. So it's, it's cool for me because I can go back and watch the stuff. Absolutely. But those are memories that you, you're never going to remember that hunt where you shoot that big animal yourself or limit on, a, on ducks unless your kids are there. You're going to remember those hunts way before the hunts when you're hunting with your stupid buddies. And that's, that's something true. that people need to understand and need to experience. We also need to get our kids involved so that the sport grows and so that they have an interest beyond playing a duck hunting game on their phone and actually go out and, and waterfowl hunt and big game hunt. And yeah. it's, it's something that uh, we all owe to the sport that I wish more people would put an emphasis on. And it's, it's not just for boys. I've taken two of my nieces out and uh, one harvested a, a five point buck, the other mm -hmm. harvested a doe. So uh, I enjoyed every minute of that. And I always ask if they want to go back and, you know, whether they do or not, uh, it's up to them, but uh, share that with as many youth as you can. Absolutely. So this is the end of our show, everyone. Brad has stuck with us through three different segments, given us a lot of information. Brad, again, if people want to find information about Eagle Seed, where would they go? Eagleseed.com. Now is the time to plan things out. Brad, you guys, you're wonderful. As far as uh, giving help, um, last year when I wanted to buy these mutant beans, I was conversing with people by email. They are more than helpful to give you information. You can email them. You can call them. They will help you out. They probably won't plant it for you, but they'll at least give you instructions on getting it to the ground. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you so much for being part of our show. Everyone, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time either watching or listening to the Hunting Guy podcast. Please stay tuned for next week. We're going to have a great episode. Thank you again. Have a great week and God bless.